Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today's bonus episode follows the money as we go deep on cash flow management with Settle.com's founder, Alec Koenig. Settle provides cash flow management for the modern business, allowing you to pay vendors and expenses upfront and finance over time, extending your runway to grow faster. Alec spent four years as the head of credit at a firm, and with Settle, he's created a true killer app for the B2B financing space that could really change the game. We're going to chat about the biggest missed opportunities for brand owners when it comes to finance, what the best brands actually do with the cash flow runway that they create with Settle, when to go to VC and when to think about debt financing. You're going to hear what Alex take on the debt markets in light of the looming rate hikes, as well as the biggest challenges on the horizon for 2022 that make now the best time to optimize your cash flow and put your money to work for you. I hope you enjoy it. On with the show. A very common financing tool today are these merchant cash advances where you're going to pay some fixed fee and then they're just going to debit your revenue on a daily basis until it's paid back. The problem with that one is the incentives aren't aligned with you. So the faster you're growing, the faster you're going to pay it back. Thus, you're actually paying a higher APR, which to me is robbery. What we do is we're charging the same APR every month giving you the flexibility to say like, hey, do you want to finance this supplier payment in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever it is, to match your conversion cycle? So there's no surprises. And like, hey, if your shipping is delayed by 30 days, 45 days now, we provide that flexibility while other providers might not. Welcome to the D2C podcast, Alec. I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the biggest missed opportunity for D2C brands in terms of how they understand and operate their debt and cash flow? Yeah, great question. I think it's really about planning and uh, making sure they have enough runway uh, given all the unknowns uh, for this year and potentially next year, uh, specifically regarding supply chain issues. In addition to everything that's happened with the iOS 14 impacts, the ad spend. Um, so just making sure you have like the f- sufficient runway to make sure you can receive your goods and actually start turning that into revenue and then reinvesting that money back into the business. Um, so just really understanding that cash conversion cycle, how quickly you're going to get your goods in and what you could do from there, I think is definitely, you know, the biggest challenge for these brands. So they, so brands can get stuck basically between, um, you know, having to pay for merchandise or pay for marketing or things like that, and then not be able to actually achieve the growth that they're aiming for in 2022, for instance. Right. And then also, you know, managing the marketing uh, when that happens, like if you're going to be marketing for customers, but you're going to be out of stock on some things or shipping might be delayed and you'll have unhappy customers, then you're really not going to get that same bang for your buck. Um, so it's just a very challenging time and, you know, there's a lot of resources out there to help these brands and a lot of new companies popping up. Um, so hopefully that could help bridge the gap, uh, for the companies that are actually, you know, doing the actual work, um, and driving the economy forward. Totally. They, they say to always follow the money. Uh, and I feel like you've done a really good job of that in your career. You were, you were four years at a firm, uh, as the head of credit there, I wanted to ask what you learned at a firm, your time at a firm that really made you want to start settle. Yeah, I think um, you know, it was it was a very fun four years. Uh, I think the company grew from like fifty to eight hundred employees when I was there. Um, but the biggest thing I definitely learned 
I guess two folds. So first on like company building, you know, a company is really about the people that are part of it. That's what really makes the company. So you need to really attract the best talent. And that's something that I experienced at our firm. It was just like the talent bar there was just beyond anything I've ever seen. And having that kind of talent attracts better talent as well. And then on the product side, it was really about if you do right by the customer and build the most honest, transparent products, that's going to pay dividends in the long run. And that's why I think a firm had like really high LTVs, high repeat behaviors um, that helped close other merchants because of how we operated, that we weren't here just trying to extract much money. We're just really trying to do right. Um, so those are the things that I really took away uh, when I was starting Settle. And I feel like you've uh, applied them pretty well. You've grown to the level you are now mainly through word of mouth, I understand. You haven't done a, a ton of outbound marketing. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think we've been just very fortunate um, that a lot in, in our space and e-commerce specifically and, and CPG, a lot of these founders know each other. They probably talk on Slack channels that we're completely unaware of. And if, you know, as long as we do right by our customers and, you know, we move quickly for them, um, then they just have been sharing the word, spreading the word. Um, so we are going to actually start doing some outbound uh, this year uh, just to kind of accelerate growth because now we have like the team uh, around it. Uh, but back in the early days, it was just me and some engineers. Um, so I, I, I honestly didn't even have the bandwidth to do any marketing or sales. Uh, so it was just very fortunate. Like the product really resonated and we we're actually really solving a problem. And that's what I think I advise some uh, early stage founders now is, you know, when you're really building a product, like you really want to make sure you're solving a pain point instead of just like, you know, selling a vitamin, if you will. Like, are you actually solving a problem that matters? And if so, then, you know, uh, the, the word is going to spread. And then I think you've done a good job, you already touched on this, but of uh, helping the word spread by attracting some of the best people. I know, uh, you know, bringing onto your board and bringing on in, into the leadership uh, of your company has been a big, a big focus to bring on some really high end talent. So I'm sure that also helps spread the word among D2C founders as well. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, when we kind of think about how to add firepower and ammunition to our board and our investor base, it's really about filling gaps that we may have. This is my first time doing B2B SaaS, so I have no idea what I'm doing there. That's why I like adding partners like Planner Perkins is super helpful there. And then um, when we're kind of thinking about our Series B, um, we really wanted like the best of the best in fintech, and that's what Rupert Capital is. So I was just really fortunate I was able to sell them on uh, you know joining the journey, and you know all across the time like we never took the best price deal. We really tried to find the best partner. Um, so and we hope that, you know, that'll set us up for success down the line, uh, cause eventually we're gonna have to raise another round as well, uh, as if we want to continue the pace that we're growing at. Okay. So back to D2C founders here. So to be specific, you're a cash flow management system where you allow D2C founders to sort of pay vendors ahead of time and then leverage that capital for other aspects within their business for growth. I wanted to ask, what are some of the best things that you've seen people do with the extra runway? What are the most effective things that you've seen some brands do with that extra runway? Yeah, I think it's really about, you know, once these founders have product market fit um, and they know how to get customers, they know how to get inventory, then it's really about adding leverage to your business. 
So then, you know, you could actually become more profitable and have more revenue. So if you take this the case where, without debt, then, you know, you're going to have to use a lot of your cash um, to buy what inventory and make sure you're going to be able to pay your employees, uh, pay any other expenses, software, what have, what have you. And then once that revenue comes in, then you can kind of reinvest that money back into the business and then kind of repeat that process. But with us now, it's like, hey, you're actually not going to have to use your cash for marketing or inventory. And now you could order more than you would have before. And thus, you're going to generate more profit, more revenue. And not only can you know, parlay that potentially down for a high, more equity investment, so then you could use that for R&D and new product lines, especially if you want to, if you already attract that customer, you kind of want to sell them more goods because it's easier to, you know, cross sell, if you will, than find a new customer. So I think that's been the most meaningful impact. And I, I think this was definitely, we were, got, we are very lucky that we launched in COVID because you had all this offline retail come online. So there's more demand than ever. And not many people would foresee this, right? So they didn't have enough goods. So a lot of customers had to go out of stock on items and then maybe cut down on marketing because like, hey, I can't actually give them the goods that they want. But with us, they're actually able to meet that demand and thus uh, become a bigger business. Do you have any learnings from Q4 this year? Like as brands kind of, you know, leverage your service to do, you know, you probably saw a lot of brands using the product exactly how you wanted it to be used. No, that's right. Definitely like, you know, with Q4 in mind, a lot of inventory purchases were made in August, September, just to make sure they had goods in the warehouses. Uh, and then we saw definitely a spike in marketing spend in November and December, just to uh, maintain those, get those new customers uh, and, uh, you know, attractive realize. I'm interested in what's happening earlier in the year because as a, you know, as an info business, uh, media business here, we found, you know, our costs skyrocketed in Q3 and Q4. So we're actually front loading our growth in Q1 and Q2 this year. Are you finding um, a, a letdown from Q4 uh, here in 2022 or are things kind of continuing to go up? Uh, we're seeing things definitely normalize. I think a lot of these founders are finding very creative ways to find their customers and fine tune their marketing strategies. Um, so we're not seeing what I guess you would expect, um, but you're definitely seeing things normalize and, you know, uh, founders are definitely finding new channels to advertise in as well. If that be TikTok or something else where it's still kind of unproven and less saturated. Uh, so I think I would definitely, you know, drive a lot of our customers to explore that channel as there might be still some low hanging fruit instead of something that's just so saturated like a Facebook. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of new advertisers come onto TikTok lately. Actually, a lot of the brands that I've interviewed, I've seen have, have built out presences there. So we can't recommend that highly enough. So a lot of, I imagine a lot of founders, a lot of founders that I know are very product focused, or maybe they're maybe marketing or team focused, but not as many sort of like natural financial wizards out there gravitating in the space. Are you finding a lot of D2C founders who kind of, you know, maybe they, they, they really rely on a CFO or maybe they outsource the CFO position. What are some of these product focused founders doing in the space to get better financial literacy? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, many of the founders are either like product focused or operations focused, uh, less so on like the finance background. And I think that's really our mission is to really help these companies thrive by taking that off their plate. But we're, we definitely see a lot of these smaller companies use outsourced accounting firms, outsourced CFO firms to give them that muscle and also help on the day-to-day -day stuff where they could get actual advice on like, hey, what they should be doing. Like, hey, 
do I need to finance this? Or, Hey, maybe I don't, I could save some money. Uh, and you know, finding interesting ways uh, as companies grow, like, Hey, now you have some more leverage with your supplier. Maybe now is the time to get like additional 30 days, which is so meaningful for the cash conversion cycle. Um, and hopefully we could play a role in that as well, uh, over time as we just, uh, gain more scale. What does the integration process look like with you? How how deep of an integration is it? Uh, and how much back and forth is there required? Yeah, this was very key for me when I was starting it because, like, while a firm obviously is a beast and monster on its own, it's a very heavy integration. Like, it's going to take a lot of time, a lot of handholding, a lot of testing. Uh, but for us, we wanted to make it as lightweight as possible. So. Once a company gets a link to the platform, it just takes them three minutes to set up. All they have to do is hook up their bank account with Plaid, hook up their accounting software through integration we built there, and boom, they're off to the races. So it's super lightweight. It's all back office stuff. There's no impact to their websites or any of the other flows. So it was just very important for us to take the friction out of all of it. Because if we're not going to take the friction, someone else's, then we're going to be uh, you know, a step behind. So we just have to continue pushing to make sure it's as frictionless as possible. You guys have raised uh, close to $100 million yourselves. You know, for D2C founders out there, um, how, how do you suggest they distinguish between opportunities for uh, VC financing versus debt financing? What, what What's the best role for debt financing versus VC? Yeah, um, in my opinion, um, you really don't want to dilute yourself and take more equity for things that are very repeatable. And that you know the ROI on. So like inventory purchases, marketing, any other supply chain related things like, you know, co-packers, delivery, what have you. Uh, there's just no reason to kind of dilute your own share after that. But something that I definitely advise brands not to use that for is R&D and hiring. Because those are, you know, less short-term ROI on. Uh, there's definitely long-term ROI on it, but you don't know when you're going to realize it. So it's, you'd be playing a very dangerous game if you're using debt on that. So I think VC is actually a great use for those areas. Like, let me try to develop a new product line. And like, there's going to be a lot more costs now than in the future. Or let me expand my team. Uh, those things that um, I think are very apt for VC. So hopefully... A lot, we see a lot of our customers use a blend of the two tools, but in the long run, you know, not only they're going to hit higher milestones, but then also they're going to keep more money for themselves. Because while we have raised a lot of money, because there's no really like settle for settle, it's that's when I see my cap table, I'm just like, oh my God, what happened? Um, so I definitely uh, advise founders to do uh, right that. And especially when VC can be additive, as you sort of mentioned, you know, with the the B2B SaaS play, for instance, when you can bring in VC partners who've, who've built those businesses before, it's always huge. That's right. And, you know, these, these VCs get a lot of pitches. They see a lot of companies. They see what works, what doesn't. Uh, they're not going to be right all the time, but that kind of information is very useful in growing your business. So make sure, you know, you find the right partner uh, to kind of fit uh, your weaknesses, really. I'm interested. I hear all the time, I, it may even be today or tomorrow, there, there's a lot of talk of uh, rate, heights, uh, uh, rate hikes looming, interest rates. So I'm, what are, what's your overall thinking about the debt space right now with these pending rate hikes? Yeah, not too much. You know, they've been near zero for a very long time now, um, but historically rates were much higher. 
So even if rates are going to 50 bips, 75 bips uh, over the year, which I think is likely, um, you know, that's going to impact every debt provider uh, equally. So it doesn't impact anyone differently than anyone else. So you might see some increased rates accordingly. It's not going to be more than the interest rates increase. Um, But I think the biggest impact for these growth companies is the impact on the valuations. So as interest rates go up, a lot of investors, you know, discount rates also go up uh, and thus the valuations of these businesses go down slightly. So a lot of the companies that think they raised a lot of money last year, if their valuations were too high, now when you want to hit that next milestone to the next round, ideally, you know, you could get a valuation that's higher than your previous one. Otherwise you're going to have a down round. And that not only has like moral implications on everyone, but uh, it has impact on everyone's, you know, uh, stock. So I think that's going to be definitely impact where last year you saw you know, the best venture raising environment ever or the best IPO market ever. And now you're just kind of seeing, kind of seeing things you know, normalize back to where they were, which I think is definitely healthier as well. Um, I think so, especially with the backdrop of the D2C space and the e-commerce space, the fundamentals are still so strong. The growth is going to be there over the next five, 10 years still. Yeah, 100%. And I think the smartest investors will agree that what's happening in China now where, you know, e-commerce is 50% or more than all of retail, that's that's where the U.S. could get to. And we're still so far away. Uh, But I think naturally you'll see that. Uh, over the next 10 years, like we actually have a chance to get to 50%. And what that means for people that are building uh, their communities or the customer base now and their marketing techniques is they're really laying the groundwork uh, to really uh, make the most out of that, the continued growth. So those tailwinds, I think, are most important for these brands is that like, hey, stay focused and, uh, you know, the markets will come with you. Were you the first business to really tackle this specific problem in this B2B space? Um, I, would, I don't want to say that. I think we're definitely, our approach is is probably the first, uh, the unique approach. That we're what doing. separates you is what I wanted to ask. Like, this seems like a, this seems like something that people, you know, that I'm surprised that there hasn't been a breakthrough product like yours in, in this space. What What's allowed you to really break through, do you think? Yeah, I think it's really the flexibility the product offers. Um, so I think a very common um, financing tool customers use today are these merchant cash advances, also known as MCAs, where you're going to pay some fixed fee and then they're just going to debit your revenue on a daily basis until it's paid back with the fee. So I think the problem with that one is you really don't know what APR you're paying and it's kind of, it's not, the incentives aren't aligned with you. So the faster you're growing, means the faster you're going to pay it back and thus you're actually paying a higher APR. So you might actually be paying like 60% APRs on these products, which to me is robbery. So for us, uh, really taking stuff that we learned from a firm is to provide like the most honest, transparent and friendly offering. So what we do is we're charging the same APR every month and then we're just giving you the flexibility to say like, hey, do you want to finance this supplier payment uh, for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days, whatever it is, to match your conversion cycle. And that way, you know exactly how much you're paying. So when you're planning, you know, like, okay, this is my cost of capital uh, that I'll be using for this. Uh, So there's no surprises. And like, hey, 
if your shipping is delayed by 30 days, 45 days now, we provide that flexibility while other providers might not. So I think that's the really novel approach we've taken to it. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see some other players, you know, doing something similar coming up. How is it, is, is it a hands-on relationship or a hands-off? Like, do, is there a rep on the, on the subtle side or is it a, a fully automated system? Uh, both. Uh, so it's fully automated, but we want to make sure you have the support you need. And we're still an early stage startup. You know, we're just a little bit over two years old. So there's definitely going to be kinks in the system. We're releasing new features all the time. And for us, like we want to move quickly. But with that comes also like, hey, this, this there's a bug right here. So I definitely uh, thank a lot of our customers who find bugs for us um, because it helps us, you know, actually get to the place where we need to be. So we do have a rep on every business. And I think that's just very important. And we have an amazing support, uh, customer support team as well, because we want to make sure, you know, you have what you need. We don't want this to be like, you're just going to be yelling into abyss or like you're waiting 48 hours in some support queue. We want to be there for you. That's just so important for us. Uh, and that's something we're going to maintain for the long run. So even you know, when we're 10x bigger, we're going to be operating the same way. And uh, one of the really internal metrics that we try to track is like, how quickly do we get back to customers? So we're really shooting for 30 minutes. That's like our goal. We're slightly, we're slightly above that now, but like even if when we get back to customers you know, an hour later, it, when you compare it to some someone else where it might be 24 hours to 48 hours, it's still amazing, but like we still want to get better. We really want to be a partner with these businesses. So that's what we're striving for. You mentioned your aggressive growth goals uh, as a reason for, for taking some of the funding. What, what can you tell us about your growth goals uh, in 2022 and beyond? How big can Settle get? Um, we think, you know, that we really build a monster business. Um, but it's always about doing right by the customer. So for this year, you know, really trying to triple or more in size. Uh, but when we kind of look in the long run, like I don't see why this can't be you know, a $40 billion business. And there's a lot of different product initiatives we have that are unknown uh, to the public, but I think that really unlocks new types of growth. So we're always trying to like dedicate you know, 10 to 15% of our business on these new initiatives that could really like 10x the business while the rest of the company really maintains and works uh, on what products are actually working now and, you know, tweaking and improving those things. So it's a better experience. So that's kind of how we kind of look at it. You know, it's going to be a long journey uh, for sure. Uh, but uh, every time we hear, you know, some good feedback from our customers, it, it kind of like allows us to go further and like gives us that drive to continue going. I love that idea of sort of the moonshot department um, because I'm just reading in this TechCrunch article about you guys that the business to business payments market is a $25 trillion market, which I'm wondering if that's a typo. That's just absolutely crazy. So you definitely need to then be dedicating some of your attention to these big, you know, 10x moonshots. What, a, what an interesting space to be building in. Yeah. And it's funny. Uh when we're raising our B round, uh, one investor passed on us because they said the market wasn't big enough. And I'm just like, probably not a good fit between us if you don't think this market's big enough. Um, so so you're kind of you're jumping on this podcast to, to start spreading the word about Settle. I really appreciate that. What else are you going to do to, you know, r massively grow the, in, in the next little while to get to get it out there to more and more uh, D2C founders? Yeah. Uh, one of the areas we're really focused on now is really on the accounts receivable side. So as these brands scale from D2C to other channels like wholesale, 
you know, going to Target, Walmart, or other shops, we really want to make that process easier as well. And then that opens us up to provide additional financing and flexibility for these brands. Uh, so that's one area of focus. Uh, we definitely have some plans on, uh, you know, the 2023 that I'm not sure I should be talking about yet, but uh, that we're just really excited about. But there's so much to build just for us to get there. Um, that's what we really try, uh, try to be focused on. And this is a, is it a U.S. only solution or do you work with global vendors as well? So uh, for the companies we partner with today, the brands, it's U.S. only right now. Uh, hopefully we could change that later this year uh, in one or two countries where we're seeing a lot of demand. Um, but importantly, because we're paying uh, all these companies' vendors, a lot of these companies' vendors are international, uh, especially their suppliers. So that was a very key part for us to launch from day one. But we are paying a lot of uh, other companies globally and making sure that's the cheapest way to pay, which we believe we are, the fastest way to pay, which we believe we are, uh, that really helps unlock that as well. And I think that's something we don't really talk about, but is important. Like, you know, the quicker we can make that payment, then the quicker your goods can get released. Um, that's something we should probably highlight uh, so it's known. Very cool. Um, okay, so if, if you want uh, our listeners of the D2C podcast, if they want to learn more about Settle, do you recommend they go to the website, schedule a demo, send you an email? What do you suggest? Yeah, uh, go to the website, settle.com, uh, schedule a demo. Uh, one of our customer success uh, managers will walk you through, answer any questions, um, and just show you the platform. Hopefully later this year we'll have self-serve set up so you could just onboard without talking to anybody, but we're not there yet. Um, but, uh, that's probably the best thing to do now. Very cool. Any final words for D2C founders about cash flow management? Uh, make it a top priority. Um, make sure you don't run out. Um, and yeah, find interesting, interesting solutions to help you manage that. If it's us or someone else trying to do it alone is definitely going to be a difficult ride. And with a lot of the, the the looming things on the horizon, now is the time to be to be doing this. With uh, the supply chain issues and different different advertising platform issues, now seems like the time to to focus in on on what matters: that cash flow. Yeah, a lot of uncertainty. So try to de-risk when you can. Thanks for coming on the podcast today, Alec. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.